Hello, everybody, and welcome again to Submit It For Your Approval, a Twilight Zone podcast. And with me today, I have with me in a virtual studio. And by virtual, yes. I mean in my garage. And wherever wherever you've decided to record is a writer, comedian, and a fellow Twilight Zone podcaster. He co-hosts the Twilight Zone Zone podcast. He made new and noteworthy and assured me of my podcasting inadequacy. He also offers up tons of helpful household hints on pro tips with Ron Leckler. Oh, you've seen those. Super welcome to okay. Mr. Ron Leckler. Yeah, I've seen Thank those. You. Yeah, I want that. I think you're one of 10 people who have seen those. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not one of 10 people who've, who've liked it, but, uh, but I've... Uh, <laughs> yeah, they're not for everybody. That's, uh, that's what I like about it, though. Uh, <laughs> yeah, hey, man, well, welcome, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm hanging in there. I, I just got up, and uh, right. I feel great. I'm I'm glad that this is the first thing that I'm doing today. Uh, like maybe the last thing today. Also, I might be kind of tuckered out. I mean, that's what Sunday. Uh, that's what Sunday's for. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, the- yeah. I, you mentioned that like my podcast, the Twilight Zone Zone, was on new and noteworthy, <laughs> and I'm so I'm so convinced that must have been just some clerical error. I'm positive that some analytics guy at iTunes just made a mistake and let us be there for a minute. And that was like really cool of them to uh, hire someone so incompetent that our podcast was got any traction at all. Yeah, so. they, they meant they meant to put the by light bone. In, exactly. in the, and then you're like, oh, there's some there's some like similarly titled but very well done podcast that didn't get the credit that it deserved. <laughs> and do I feel guilty about that? Yeah, I do. But, oh. uh, you know, I'm moving on. Well, I, I don't think you should feel guilty. I mean, clerical, cler- cl- 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 clerical error or not, you're, you're in there for that, they, yeah, for that one that's, week, right? That's true. And I mean, that like we were uh, on New and Noteworthy for like a week or something like that. And that was actually like really huge for us. Like we yeah. got so many uh, listeners and subscribers just from that little amount of exposure that uh, even though we're nowhere near <laughs> new and noteworthy anymore, we've dropped down so significantly, <laughs> but we have like this uh, audience that we were sort of granted really early on yeah. that has stuck around. And that's, that's really terrific just to, just to know that having a couple eyes on your thing gets people that are interested in what it is that you're doing to stick around for that long is so great. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, I want to talk to you more about your show uh, in, in a little bit. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, let's let's go ahead and get into this episode today. Totally. A Thing About Machines. Originally, yes. Originally aired October 28th, 1960. Mm-hmm. St- starring uh, Richard Hayden as, as Bartlett Finch- Finchley. Barney right. Phillips. <laughs> Barney Phillips, the great... The great three-eyed Barney Phillips as the exactly. TV. Exactly. I, I noticed that immediately. I think he might have been recycled a couple times. I think as a as a character. Yeah. Um, he also just has a really recognizable face, and I I'm positive I must have seen him in other stuff. Mm-hmm. I I think he might have been in like uh, an episode of the Andy Griffith Show or, or other stuff from that era. Yeah, he just he just has a face that you're like, okay, I've I've seen him. Like one of the great character actors. He really does, um, and there's a good, really good documentary about character actors out there. That uh... yeah, I've I've seen that actually, and also, and he does have. It's interesting how character actors have 
a face that they get sort of typecast in the same roles sort of over and over. Yeah. And he looks like a service industry person, which is such a, a weird <laughs> thing to say. But like he plays the guy at the diner, like mm-hmm. he runs a diner and then he's a TV repairman. So he always looks he apparently looks like someone who is in the service of other people, which I just think is an interesting career to have as an actor. Yeah, I, I wonder growing up if, if he said, you know what, I want to be a service <laughs> character actor. Exactly, like that was his dream and goal, and he succeeded. Yeah. Hey. I hope that's the case, though I doubt it. <laughs> uh, and, and who are we to, to, to frown upon somebody's goals and dreams? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and then, uh, yeah, this is directed by David Oric McDermott, who, who's done, he did three total, back there, okay. execution, and then this one. And teleplay by a certain unknown Mr. Rod Serling. That guy. Yeah. I'm so familiar. He, he so I, I think he's I think he's all right. Um I don't think he did anything after this though. <laughs> uh but for a synopsis wise, uh, we meet Mr. Bart Finchley. Bart I'll just call Bartlett. Bart I, I think if you called him Bart to his face, he would hate it. Yeah. <laughs> like you can also you can call him whatever you want because he's fictional and also not here. But uh, I, I think it would be written into his character that he doesn't. He goes by his full name. I think, as a matter of him being just a huge jerk, that I would say Bart to his face. Totally, yeah. I would too. Like, oh yeah, sorry Bart, I didn't mean. Oh Bart, Bart, I mean. Oh, oh shit, I did it again. <laughs> so Bart Finchley, he's a huge jerk. He's he's a man who hates hates life, hates machines, hates people, essentially. I guess yeah. he's I guess he's what like a, a gourmet writer. Um yeah, uh because Rod in his it only talks about what his job is sort of in the introduction by Rod Sterling mm-hmm. and he says that he writes for gourmet mags magazines and things of the like. So he, it's kind of vague, but I I get the he's like a critic. It really reads like uh he's cuz he's very eloquent and articulate mm-hmm. and it's crucial to his character and I'm sure very crucial to his job but because he's so misanthropic I'm really getting vibes like that's part of his job too that he's sort of uh that's why he's good at what he does is because he knows how to eviscerate things right right he reminds me of the the gourmet writer in Ratatouille yeah I was actually totally getting Ratatouille vibes from this guy too huh, nice nice uh, and all we need is a rat, and then he'll be happy. Yeah, I think that was the one thing that they that was crucial that they left out is how his life could have been turned around by this sort of anthropomorphized rat. Yeah, with a, a passion for cul- the culinary arts. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this guy, this guy, other than the rat, the rat missing. Um, he he hates machines. He thinks they're all out to get him. Uh, and obviously his suspicions are rapidly confirmed when all his appliances <laughs> start acting out on him. The first, yeah. like the, the typewriter is the one that starts it up. Like totally like get out of here. Uh, eventually. Yeah. And I think, uh, it's because it's also like only five things. And I think it's because probably because of like the budget constraints of the show, but it's like his electric razor, his typewriter, <laughs> his yeah. car, his clock. And the, the TV, the TV. Yeah. Um, but none of the other stuff comes to life just because there, I'm sure there wasn't the room for it in the budget or for the telling of the episode. Um, but this is an episode that's been, 
like this narrative has been done in other shows and stuff. Like there was an episode of The Simpsons too, where technology was coming to life, and the razor thing is another thing. I think that is done a lot because it has blades on it, so it's menacing. Yeah. Um, but yeah. it's like it's cute because there's a part where the razor. It doesn't even really chase him. It's just coming down the stairs. Yeah, it's like slinking down like like a like a crappy slinky. Just like Yeah. Just and it's so it's so not frightening. Uh it's I w- I wouldn't even say it's chasing him, but it's uh it's cute how it comes down the stairs. Yeah, it, you know, and I have I have a problem with the razor because it like floats in front of him for a second, right? But then the next yes. so then, but then it slinks down the stairs instead of floating. Yeah, it's pretty inconsistent. Yeah. Uh whether or not it's like a telekinetic razor or I, yeah, it's not really clear. I mean, I just don't know where the razor's character is coming from. It, I don't. Yeah, probably. Uh, I don't really understand its motivations. I think that must be, you must have a problem with the director yeah. who was directing the razor. That's right. Actually in the behind the scenes, it talks about how McDermott and the razor, they, they were getting <laughs> into fights. I, uh, I love the image of a razor, in a director's chair with a cigarette next to it, <laughs> like it's smoking, but it's a razor. Yeah. And, yeah. and being like a, like a Sean Penn kind of actor where he's like, I don't care, man. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was such, it was such buzzing disdain. Uh, um, you, so the, the typewriter types out, get out of here, yeah. Finchley. The TV says, get out of here, Finchley. I, I did have a problem with get out of here, Finchley, because the typewriter who's supposed to know this didn't add a comma out of the here. Ooh. So I didn't even catch that. That so is very astute. It was, it was, it was bothering me. It has nothing to do with the episode other than why totally. is there a comma typewriter? I mean, yeah, what there is no, nothing else in this episode <laughs> should be more grammatically correct than the typewriter. And, and yet I also, uh, I noticed it put it in quotes, like yes, the typewriter was putting the things it was saying in quotes, <laughs> like it's doing finger quotes as it is speaking, <laughs> and that's so ridiculous to me. And and realistically, that's I would be upset with machines at that point too. Like if you're yeah. gonna be sentient, then maybe you should at least put a comma, not quote yourself. <laughs> I like how the the typewriter is just as much of a dick. As Finchley is that he that he talks in quotes probably in the in the first person in the third person. You're a jerk, Finchley. <laughs> Finchley finger quotes. Why don't you get out of your house? Like it's it's ridiculous. Uh, yeah, dumb dumb typewriter. But I'd love to see Finchley like when he sees that there's no comma where there's supposed to be one. He takes a red pen and just kind of like circles it. Yeah. Just to condescend to the typewriter, yeah, and like it sends it sends it back, like here, <laughs> fix this, fix this. Yeah, um, yeah. So all these things, they're they're rebelling against him. Uh, the mm-hmm. the razor chases him out of the house eventually. Yes, the razor chases him out of the house. That's how right. <laughs> that's how scared this guy is, and <laughs> comes face to face with his his car that that awesome looking Lagonda. Totally. And uh, yeah, then the the car does a whole Christine thing. And chases yeah. him down, chases him down to a pool, knocks him in, and then and he, then he dies. Then he dies. The next morning, uh, the the policeman and an ambulance driver or hearse driver, um, they they talk about how he drowned and he was 
He was at the bottom of the pool, not floating, like something was holding him down. Yeah, that's creepy. Yeah. I mean, uh, so it's they're insinuating it was the car, right? Yes. Yeah, that's the insinuation. And then the car drove out of the pool? I think, like, the, the car did, like, like in those old Disney cartoons with the cars where, like, the tires are actual hands. The tires can climb? Yeah. I got you. Uh, I th- it would have been really interesting if the car was, like, all wet but out of the water. And then and the, now, now it's a mystery they're trying to figure out. Yeah. Because, I mean, j- just having, like, some having the car all wet or if it was like a pond and there was like seaweed on it or something like that. Oh yeah. To make it so that there's something that the police can't even explain. Mm-hmm. I, I think it would have been maybe like a, a different sort of angle for the episode. Um, Cause it wasn't entirely clear to me until you said something that they're making it seem like the, cl- the car followed him into the water and held him down until he was dead. Yeah. I, I was, I was reading in one of the, the reference guides that the car was supposed to be like dripping water, and so I watched. Oh, interesting. I watched the, the I watched the episode twice, and I looked specifically for any water dripping. And I didn't, I didn't see that either. Yeah, um, that's the insinuation of it. But again, yeah. as you said, like something different, something a little bit more um, obvious visual. And also, maybe there's something that I don't understand, and I don't want to sound pedantic, but once the car drowned him. And the car got out of the water. Wouldn't he float up then? Uh, hey, pedantic away. No, I'm, I guess I agree. maybe if like his lungs are full of water. I just there's I don't understand how drowning works. I mean, I get the general concept, but uh, <laughs> when it gets down to the nitty gritty details, I'm kind of lost. It's, so. when you, it's when you eat too much food, right? And your yeah. esophagus. Food drowning. <laughs> um. <laughs> no, no, I, I I agree. I it's a small point, but one that still kind of bothers me. I don't know if, if you're underwater and held underwater that you just, you just stay there. Yeah. Unless it's like a wily coyote and like you're actually crushed into the, the cement of the pool. Oh yeah, totally. It's a, yeah, I don't think that's how it works, but again, (laughs) I don't understand. And I'm not, frankly, I'm not willing to do the necessary research to find out I'm okay being in the dark about this. Yeah. And that's and that's fine. I don't think, you know, maybe maybe as like a bonus content someday, we'll mm. we'll look into the you know the the details of drowning. Totally. Uh, drowning in the Twilight Zone by Ron Leckler and Brennan Curry. <laughs> that's us. Uh, so o- overall, man, uh, tell me tell me what your thoughts are on the episode. Um, I I had not seen this one in such a long time that it was like watching it for the first time and. Frankly, it's really not one of my favorites, but I never I never regret watching one and, and realizing that I'm not that big of a fan of that particular episode. And that's kind of the thing about especially anthology series is there can be I, th- I think that's part of what makes Twilight Zone so special is there are episodes that really stand out because the storytelling was so well done in that episode. And there are, similarly are episodes that aren't as well done and when you're making as many episodes as the twilight zone had, it's ridiculous to think that they would all be amazing. And I yeah. think it's like an unfair standard. Um, so I'm glad that we, I got to watch an episode that frankly, I don't really <laughs> like that. Much. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I was trying to think about like what themes I was sort of drawing out of this episode. Mm-hmm. And 
the and like Bartlett Finchley is so he's resilient to technology, but this isn't really the main source of his problem. And uh, because the way he behaves, he's like so shitty to everybody in his life, like Mm -hmm. the TV repairman and then um, his not stenographer, but like kind of his secretary, the gal who's uh, typing for him. He's so shitty to her. And we have to know that this all started before his problems with the television set or the phone. uh, And that the Twilight Zone has a way of punishing people for being shitty to others. So um, a thing that I wrote down that was I thought was interesting is that uh, tech, it seems like technology in this episode is punishing him for his treatment of people because it's not really so much that he threw the clock or uh, kicked out the screen in the TV. It's really that he's, he's shitty to that repairman and to his secretary. And this is why the Twilight Zone feels it's necessary to punish him. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's a that's a good point, actually. I, I never... I didn't consider that, and I took it probably more at face value than than that. In that, uh, yeah, I, I didn't consider the fact that, you know, obviously he spends so much time treating the TV repairman like crap at the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. You know, basically saying like, "Ah, oh, you're you're cheating me out of money." I'm sure you are. Um, as the repairman is like in the back of the TV fixing something that eventually broke. Totally. And then, and then another uh, five six minutes with Edith, right? Just like asking her not to leave, her finding it, even though she wants to, even if she's sick of him, turns around and sits down with him to be like, I'll be there oh, for totally. you. That's so, so the difference between the two of them is that Edith is, when she realizes that he's in crisis, she shows up for him, which he wouldn't have done the same thing for her because of the way that he is. Yeah. Um, and also the the repairman is giving him so many outs and just being... <laughs> as cordial as he can, even though he's being treated like shit, he's, he's being very, very polite and also genuinely helpful. He's trying to explain to Finchley how to better treat his technology so that he doesn't have to come back to fix his stuff, which is a bad business model for him even, (laughs) but it's like, but it's the right thing to do. So that's why he talks like that. So I, I think it's really interesting to juxtapose Bartlett Finchley against the two other people that we see in his life and how, like, I'm certain that the that Edith and the repairman would get along famously because they're both nice people and Bartlett just is not. Yeah. In the, in the sequel, they actually get married and they... Oh, know, I'm sure. And they, then they open a diner. <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and a bra- there's a brave little toaster there. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, the the as far as the the face value of the technology is concerned, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there, there is there is a certain extent. You know, we don't really relate to to Bart, whatever. Um, but technophobes are something that ex- exists. Right? Oh, totally. Um, what do you what do you think about the a fear of technology? Do you do you think that this applies to this episode at all? Oh, I think so, and that's kind of the thing is. Clearly, uh, the idea of technophobia existed in the 60s, so it's why this character was written at all or why this character could be relatable. Mm -hmm. But that same sort of mentality still certainly exists today. And I think the reason is that 
technology is never not advancing. We're always making new strides. So there's always there are always there's always going to be a group of people that feel like they're uh, left behind or sort of antiquated in one way or another. Yeah. Uh, so, and especially now when I feel like the the growth and advancement of technology, it's like exponential. It's like a like you know how <laughs> exponents work, but. Um, <laughs> the the rate at which technology is expanding and and growing and advancing it's by leaps and bounds faster than it was then mm-hmm. um so maybe like technophobes can use that as a way to justify their fears and and stuff like that um cuz like i know it it's all relative i'm sure like there's technologies that my parents don't like or understand mm-hmm. uh my father always talks about how toxic social media is and i tried to hook up a roku box for him <laughs> and he like threw a fit because he had to hit the input button on the remote and could not handle this responsibility yeah and so i had to i had to take it away from him like <laughs> i had to, um get but, out of here roku. Yeah, and and i'm sure that in like uh 20 years there's stuff that i'm gonna be so afraid of um but hopefully I'll, I'll remember this conversation I'm having right now and be a little more open-minded, but there's uh, stuff that it, it takes me like a little bit of time to get on the bandwagon or whatever. Like I didn't have a smartphone for a lot longer than a lot of people that I know. And, yeah, uh, and everybody I know has Snapchat except me and I'll maybe cave eventually. It's, it's the thing is I'm not even comfortable saying I'll never do that stuff or never own that thing because I'm also growing and advancing. I, it's just not at the same rate that technology is. Yeah. I, I was the same way with Snapchat and I did download it, but only so I can get masks on my face. Oh, totally. Yeah. That's yeah the, the, those filters are very, very sought after. That is the only reason. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, with Snapchat, I just, I don't understand. I don't, I don't know, as somebody who likes to just take a lot of pictures and keep a lot of pictures, I don't really understand, if I'm not trying to hide anything, why I would just want it to go away after a certain... Sure. Uh, uh, but kids. <laughs> kids but, these days. But these kids on my virtual lawn, they need to get off. <laughs> um. Yeah, I and so, you know, the, this whole machine thing, you know, this, you have the singularity that, that's that everyone worries about eventually, right? When when the AI becomes self self-replicating essentially. Yeah, and I mean that's such a huge overarching theme in a lot of science fiction. There's so many stories like that. Like I remember the movie Lawnmower Man. Yeah. Was like that. Um yeah. there's a lot of episodes, there's episodes of The Twilight Zone that deal with that same theme in different ways. Episodes of The X-Files do that. Yeah. Um Maximum Overdrive. And uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey, yep. uh, the idea that we've made, oh, and Terminator also, mm-hmm. uh, the idea that we've spent so much time making machines as self-sufficient as possible that they don't need us anymore. And I, that uh, making ourselves obsolete, I, yeah. I think, is part of the that sort of like ingrained fear. And it's something that we sort of managed to project on the technology because we're so quickly to throw away our iPhone five when the <laughs> iPhone six becomes a thing yeah. that we're afraid 
that the same thing could happen to us maybe i'm I'm just speculating yeah well you know bart actually says something fairly telling in early in the episode when he's when he tells a tv repairman it's frankensteinian right interesting uh in in the sense that both bart really he creates this the these monsters himself right but through his through his action um and obviously they're the ones who take him down but on a larger scale like this whole concept of of us creating our own demise i guess or oh totally and i mean that was a like that's one reading of like the frankenstein narrative i think and it's a it's a really interesting one that um it's it's there's like a line in the movie Frankenstein where he says, uh, now I know what it feels like to be God. Mm-hmm. That's what it says after he creates Frankenstein's monster. Of course, this is covered up with a, a thunder sound effect because it was so offensive. Yeah. But uh, the idea of having that amount of power that we can create something stronger than us, I think is, uh, I mean, just as a general thought is so frightening. And but it's also so vague and generalized that you can create so many narratives from it. Yeah. Um, all right. So you, you admittedly, this isn't your favorite episode. No, no, it's not. But, uh, what, what would you, what would you rate it out of whatever scale you would choose? Um, all right. If it's, I would, I would give this like a, like a seven twilight zones out of 10 twilight zones. I, uh, <laughs> the entire series is as of twilight yeah i'm not <laughs> i'm not really good at ratings and, and stuff but you know it's sort of like trying to assign a number yeah. uh b- because it, there's never an episode that i don't have fun watching mm-hmm. and i only don't like this episode relatively to other episodes that i think are uh maybe more timely or have something a little more profound to say yeah um because this episode didn't really uh advocate for keeping an open mind about technology the way that i feel like it could have really taken that route and it did not Mm -hmm. Um, because there's an episode i watched recently actually from the 80s reboot of the twilight zone um where uh, there's a guy who works for a company and has to memorize all the new names for new products. And he's totally resistant to the fact that he has to do that. And then people start using the wrong words to describe stuff in front of him. Like they use the word Wednesday instead of the word dog. And he doesn't understand. And it gets progressively worse through the episode. Hmm. And at the end, he has to relearn the English language to in order to survive. Yeah. And I think it's like just a way better way of telling the same sort of story that if you are resilient to new ideas, because that, that's the thing that it really boils down to. It's not as much about technology as it is just new ideas and being afraid of things that you aren't necessarily used to. Yeah. You're going to get left behind and you're going to feel antiquated. And when everybody is moving forward, except you, it's not their fault. It's your fault. And I think that is such a profound idea and this episode never really gets married to that. It's really kind of a more surface level punishment of this guy who is kind of a dick. Right. Like going, going for the, just the, the, the catch at the end of drowning the guy with a car. Yeah. Yeah. 
instead of instead of broadening it out to a larger theme. Totally. And and but that's the thing is there are episodes of the Twilight Zone that deal with um, a resilience to new ideas and uh, rejection of technology and do so in a much more profound way. Yeah. And this just wasn't that episode. So I also don't think it would be fair of me to have a problem with this episode not being another episode. You know what I mean? Because that episode already exists. So yeah. I'm grateful that there's uh, this discussion about new ideas and technology as something to be either embraced or feared is happening in a lot of different ways in the same show. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, I, I would say that I would give it, I would give it a six out of 10 twilight zones. <laughs> um, Do you have like an actual rating system? No, I, I, I don't just kind of <laughs> just like a six out of 10, whatever. And you just get to, you pick every time. Usually my, my system goes based off of whatever system the guest brings. So, oh, interesting. Am I the first person to rate it out of numbers of twilight zones? Yes, cool. you, you, you are indeed. So, uh, we'll do some confetti in the air. Perfect. Ooh, first time. Uh, my my buddy Steve he rates it in hedgehogs. So okay, I uh, love how it's it's just as arbitrary as anything else. It doesn't. <laughs> uh, uh, because why why rate things out of stars? Like that doesn't make any nothing. You know what I mean? It's always like yeah. four out of five stars. Like wh- who has stars at all? There, it's uh, so goofy to me. So I, I I'm comfortable just rating it out of numbers of twilight zones. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. And we, I've talked I've talked about this with my friend Carrie too. Uh, just like how arbitrary rating systems are. Uh-huh. Um, just you know, like you go on Netflix and you see something with four stars, and you're like, ah, no, nah, I, I don't have time for that. <laughs> exactly. Ain't got, ain't got time for no four star movie. Schindler's List, huh? <laughs> uh, all right. Well, hey, hey, thank thank you so much for for talking to me about the episode. Uh, is there is there anything else that you any stray observations you want to talk about with it? Um, I, yeah, I, I think. Uh, well, first of all, I think it's uh, interesting that we watch an episode that has to do with resilience, uh, or like a resistance to new technology, mm-hmm. when we are using Skype to do this interview. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm sure that has something to say, but. I mean, I don't have to, I don't feel the need to like clunkily explain it to anybody, but, uh, I think that's, (laughs) there's an amount of irony built into that. Yeah. Um, but I also, I was thinking with this episode and how timely it can be now, because I feel like technology is always advancing and with new technologies, there's always an amount of responsibility that has to develop alongside it. But because technology is advancing so fast, the responsibility that we feel towards it at the moment cannot keep up. So eventually we might arrive at the necessary amount of responsibility to handle new technologies, but by then the new technologies will have arrived. Um, Am I making any sense? Yeah, no, it makes sense. So uh, the, the, the initial example I have of that is, so Amazon with their drones, right? like right. drone delivery. Well, so the reason that is getting held up so much is because the FAA is like, uh, no, we have to, we have to deal with rules and stuff like that. Well, yeah. well, the drone technology is improving really fast as well. And so totally. the FAA is, is making rules for the old drone technology. Uh, and, and so 
their responsibility. It's not keeping up with like, okay, well, drone drone version A can can do this. Yeah. And Amazon's like, well, we're actually on drone C version C already. Uh-huh. Right? Exactly. Um, and I know like airports have a, a thing that they have now where uh, it sends out like a signal that's kind of like an arc mm-hmm. so that, uh, or it's like an upside down arc. So when, a, if like you have a personal drone and you get within a certain distance of an airport, it like hits this invisible wall and just kind of brings your drone slowly to the ground, far, far away from the airport. Mm-hmm. So there's uh, already rules in place that stop you from doing anything sinister but we kind of had to it's it's like anytime you see a sign that says don't do something we made that sign because somebody did it and yeah. something will happen so, so if i feel like i don't want to sound uh like a like misanthropic i guess but i if i feel like something awful has to happen a lot of the time for us to create a rule to stop it because we don't necessarily have the foresight all the time yeah, I this is a weird weird example, but sometimes I think about food, right? Like like Same. plants, like food, like fruits and vegetables. Like somebody had to have tried that initially, exactly. To see if it's poisonous, right? Somebody that, had to die with everything. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's the thing is like there was a dude who tried milk first, and uh, that would be a no for me. Um, and someone had to try eggs. Also, like most food, I, I would not be I won't I would not want to be the first person to put that in my mouth. Um, but because that's the thing is, I'm I'm in charge of what goes in my mouth. Yeah. Um, you have agency. No, never try to don't tread on me. That's my point. Never try to take away my right to put or not put things in my mouth. That's exactly right. That's what the Gettysburg Address was all about. It <laughs> was a uh, weird sentence that I just uh, said. Um, uh, there was like one more thing. I wanted to say, oh, um, about Bartlett Finchley and his resistance to technology, it felt so inconsistent and arbitrary to me Mm -hmm. because he has he thinks that typewriters are newfangled. (laughs) And I mean, it's like in the 60s, but also typewriters have been along way before that. And granted, it's like an electric typewriter. I think I saw a chord coming out of it but the the technology behind it is so the same mm-hmm. and i'm just like dude what do you not have a problem with because he's he hates typewriters apparently but he's a huge proponent of the quill so it's <laughs> but also the quill is a technology dude everything is so i'm just wondering like he has a does he have a problem with simple machines like inclined planes and wedges <laughs> pulleys the wheel and axle like what what's your fucking problem yeah because i think that maybe be sort of the core of the episode is if you asked him to actually rationalize out where it is that he has a problem and what he's afraid of like he couldn't explain it to you because it doesn't make any fucking sense this this damn light switch exactly (laughs) do you have a problem with candles because that's a technology (laughs) like yeah, a floating candle to chase after him. That's in one that, of the... That'd be really goofy. If they made this episode in, like, 1431, that would be the thing. It's he's getting chased by floating candles. Oh, no, the quill is and after bottles. me. Like, I don't know what was prominent then. And and horses, uh, I think. And a floating horse, <laughs> because it's like a technology. Yeah. That is really goofy. Uh, uh, I, there, was, there was a... 
scene with uh, Rod Serling, right? The opening scene. Uh, yeah, the, on TV. Yeah. How meta was that? Yeah, he's in a TV on the TV. I thought that was... Uh, I'll bet they wrote this episode because they were just dying to do that. <laughs> like, um, guys, guys, I got this idea. What if we put Rod <laughs> on TV on a TV? <laughs> and that guy got a promotion? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he's like the head of CBS now. <laughs> uh, now. He's the head of CBS yeah. now. That's wow. how... That's how much of a promotion he got. That's big. <laughs> uh, oh, crap. Oh, last last thing I wanted to say was oh. that, that... So the car, at some point in the episode, uh, rolls back into the driveway, and the, the cop's like, hey, this almost hit a kid, right? And there's that, yeah. whole, that whole scene. Can you tell me what was up, what was up with focusing on that kid eating a popsicle, popsicle so much? <laughs> I, I have no idea, because it was like um, I really expected someone to say something to that kid or for that kid to say something. Cause it's like, it's like having a gun on the table and it never gets fired. You know what I mean? It just doesn't yeah. make a lot of sense. Like in the, when you're talking about just narrative structure and storytelling. Yeah. Um, Cause I really, I imagine there's like a deleted scene where that kid says something really like snarky or poignant or Bart says something to him, but man, like they needed some extra scenes to throw in to, to pad the time of the episode. Sure. So, yeah, whatever. Anyways, that kid. Uh, all right, man. Well, uh, thank, thank you again for that. All right, so, so I want to ask you a couple of questions about yes. you. Okay. <laughs> uh, you and uh, your co-host Jeremy, right? You, you guys started up the Twilight Zone Zone fairly recently, like the last two, three months? Yeah, it's been about like three three months or so we've been doing it. Yeah. We're on episode uh twelve or thirteen, I think, and we do one we do do one a week. We start out being like bi weekly. Um, but we're up to one we do one a week now. Okay. All right. Uh, what what was the uh what was the genesis of that collaboration? Mm. Uh it was actually Jeremy's idea. As as much as I would love to take credit for the Twilight Zone Zone, uh yeah. I was playing pool with uh, my friend Jeremy Schmidt, he's a comedian from uh, Texas, and that's where he and I met doing stand-up together in Dallas. And uh, we both live in Los Angeles now, and we were out having—we were playing pool, and he—we were talking—he he made some offhand reference to the Twilight Zone. And I was like, dude, the Twilight Zone's my favorite thing. And he's like, oh, it's my favorite thing. And he mentioned how he had always wanted to do a podcast about the Twilight Zone— and everybody was like, no, that's a bad idea. It's boring. And you're boring for having thought of it. Like <laughs> nobody was supportive at all. Wow. And I was like, I think that's a stellar idea. And I'm so grateful that everybody was so shitty to him because it, he had to like settle for me as like his <laughs> co-host. Um, but it, it just makes sense that we sort of like, uh, cause we've, always been close friends but now we've sort of found each other like creatively on this like project that we can do together yeah and uh so we started like brainstorming ideas for the podcast and uh i'm so glad that there there are like four or five other twilight zone podcasts including your own and uh there's like a handful more and i'm grateful that none of these podcasts are the same uh yeah. and that's what i think is so terrific is that you can have like this sort of core idea is that it has something to do with this seminal television show from the sixties, but 
nobody can do the show the same way because nobody is the same. So in its own way, everything is sort of biographical, autobiographical. We have like our own personal lens that we're bringing to it Mm -hmm. Um, because uh, I can't remember. I think it's called the Twilight Zone podcast. That's one that I listened to a little bit Um, with uh, Tom Elliott. Tom. Yeah. And he's in England, right? Yeah. 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 And he sort of like watches the episode along with the Twilight Zone companion book. And it's a terrific podcast. It's really uh, informative. And he's a really eloquent dude, always has something really smart to say. Um, And like, that's a really specific niche to me. And our podcast is not like that at all. Um, Even though we also watch the show, there's a lot of stuff that we don't know about the episode or about the show. And we try to be really transparent about that fact. Um, So there are like listeners that I think to listen to a podcast that's like Tom's, if depending on what your priorities are, because our podcast is really kind of goofy and we don't want to do a podcast where we feel like we can't have fun or be funny. Um, because we play like little improv games and stuff sometimes. And, uh, when we try to come up with like a twist on the twist, like what episode, what, what could undo the, the end of the episode or what would happen if the episode was five minutes longer. So now it's all of us like creating original thought. And that's something that I like to do with the podcast. Yeah. That I'm glad you, you bring up the, um, how every, how all of our shows are different, right? Like just when I was starting this, I was, I was brainstorming like, okay, how do I want to approach it? Do I want to like bring in somebody who knows nothing about the Twilight Zone and then have them mm. as a co-host? Um, or in, or do I want to have like skits? Do I want to have like somebody come on and do improv and like pretend to be some characters? Like like me yeah. interviewing the, the, like a, the gremlin from Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, right? Yeah, like, we've done things like that, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and I realized, one, that I can't do that. I'm not really like, that good at improv. In that way um but also that just talking to people here and there that everybody has their own lens and they yeah. bring they bring something different to each episode right if i if i talked to somebody else about this episode we'd have a completely different conversation and that's totally. that's same thing with all our different shows uh so i think it's i think that's awesome yeah and that's kind of the cool part about doing the twilight zone zone is that Jeremy and I make the rules for the podcast and the rules can change depending on how it is that we feel about it. Like we had an episode where our guest was Nikhil Deshpande, a really talented improv comic. Mm -hmm. And we did a thing where at the end of the episode, he pretended to be uh, the mystic seer machine from (laughs) Nick of time. And he was just answering questions in this vague uh, magic eight ball sort of way. Yeah. Um, and other episodes are like a little more analytical. And one of our guests was uh, Adam Pazin. He was my writing teacher in college mm. and such a brilliant writer and j- just a really profound thinker about narrative structure and stuff. So the episode we did with him was wildly different than the episode that we did with Nikhil. So that's kind of the the cool part about the episode or about the podcast is that all of our episodes are so different because the guests that we bring on are so different. And like with like selecting guests and and stuff, the I think Jeremy and I share the goal of making sure that Jeremy and I are the least interesting people 
on the podcast. Like we always try to get really cool, fun, interesting guests. Um, and just sort of like have this sort of like open-ended discussion and we can go on tangents and tirades and it never won't feel like we're having fun. So nobody's, well, I won't say nobody because I've watched it. You have made the joke that only 10 people have watched your pro tips with Ron Leckler. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so I watched the first episode, right? And, and each of these episodes are like 14 seconds long, maybe at, at the most, right? Right, and I watched the first episode, and it was very, it was very straightforward. I was like, yeah. "Okay, all right," and I skipped to like season three of it, and then, <laughs> fantastic. And then, and then I was like, "Oh, okay, got it, got it." That's I was like, I know he's a comedian. Was is he? Is he? Is he being? Is he playing straight for the first episode? And then sure. I saw the one where where Jeremy uh, takes over as you. Oh yeah, that <laughs> one. I was really proud of that one, and uh, like the whole like the pro tips with Ron Leckler thing is like a, there's kind of a, 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 its own universe that it exists in. And I feel like when I'm not in character, I can talk about it like as, as an outsider and stuff. And I'm, I'm comfortable with that sort of thing. So, um, like, as you watch the, one of the episodes season one, episode one, and there is nothing irregular about that episode. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I, I'm part of me like hopes that, other people will do that and then skip ahead and get so lost. Like what happened in between here and there? Uh, because I, I designed the show to work in such a way that I feel like kind of rewards patience. Like, uh, the first, I think it's the first three episodes of pro tips. There's nothing wrong. Everything is okay. Um, or maybe there's like one frame that's inserted, uh, that's out of place, but, I made it so that if you start watching it, you might very well get bored and lose interest and never get to the like fun, goofy, dark, wacky stuff that happens. Right. Um, but if you decide to stick around, I kind of, I want to make feel people feel rewarded for that same reason. Um, so like pro, pro tips with season one had its, uh, there's kind of a, a, a pretty clear, structure to it where things are fun and wholesome and then there's something really horrible and dark at the end and then there's an episode towards the end of that season where again there's nothing nothing goes wrong uh (laughs) just because the sort of challenge with pro tips is that i have to surprise people all the time i have to always be shocking everybody and it's so hard to always be one step ahead of your audience so uh, with season two, I just did it so that nothing happens. It's like a six episode season where everything is fine and peachy. Um, and things sort of like start to tip at the end, but there's no, there's also like that VHS footage that I use Uh and I wanted to visually, uh, express like how things are different. So I have like this really beautiful DSLR footage, really contrasty and nice. And then there's like this gritty VHS footage that I use when things are horrible. Uh, and then with season three, uh, I, there was already a structure to the show. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so now I had something, my own thing to comment on because I've created a set of rules for the show. Now I get to break my rules that I made before. So there's an episode that's upside down. There's an episode that's backwards. Mm-hmm. I w- Cause I was trying to think, you know, what are the rules of the show? And they're always like 15 seconds. Yeah. So one episode is an hour and 10 minutes. Uh, 
And I thought that was so funny to just have, like, because I know how the show works, I know how to break the show. And one of the one of the rules is that I'm always there. So in one episode, I'm gone. I'm just not there anymore. Uh, there's an episode where it's Jeremy playing me and saying that he's me. And he's like this imposter. That's kind of what you're getting through context or subtext. And there's an episode where I take the show back and it's very gruesome, but it happens in that hour long episode and no one is going to sit through it. So <laughs> no one really, there's a lot that people just don't know about the show because it's not worth their time to find out. And I totally understand that. Yeah. I think that that speaks to the, the nature of, of YouTube. Right. And, and just being like, Hey, if it's not, if it's not holding my interest right now, then exactly. I'm stick with it. But uh, I would, that's that's kind of no. Go ahead. Uh, I was gonna say it's similar to almost the wire. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna, Thank you. I'm, I'm gonna compare the pro tips to the wire, uh, in the sense that if you can get through like the first two three episodes of the wire, like yeah. you're, you're all in, right? I I hope so. I've uh, because I've also I'm I, I try to be really s smart about doing uh, things like that. So I have everything in. Uh, a playlist on YouTube too, so that I, I've designed it so that everything plays in order. Mm -hmm. So if you watch episode one, it'll queue up episode two for you right after. And I, I have like friends that tell me that, you know, they won't necessarily watch regularly, but they can binge watch later. And, you know, that's totally fine with me. There's a, a different way, different ways to absorb the show. It's an episode of season two, one that has 11,000 views on YouTube, which for something that I've done is huge. Like I don't really make stuff that gains that much traction at all. But, um, you know, I kind of just, I, I would love for people to be watching the rest of it because the, the, the episodes I'm creating now are to me the most interesting ones. And I think that's kind of how the creative process works is that the thing you're working on right now is the thing that feels right and important. Um, and the other stuff was just kind of a building block. Right. Uh, you, you think of, you can think of like community uh, and parks and rec are, are two examples sure. of the first season. Not really. I mean, being, being all right, but not really getting traction until the later ones. Right. Sure. And I, you know, I think it's important with, you know, everything that you're doing creatively to there's a point where you just have to kind of be building a foundation mm -hmm. for it. Yeah. And the, it's important to note that, I think the stuff that I'm doing in season three, I think it's really like fun and funny and interesting. And I couldn't have done it if I hadn't done the first season and kind of done the work and learned and sort of grown into what it is that I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. Tell us then, yes. how, how do we get, how do we get a hold of you, Ron? Sure. Um, I mean, I'm, I try to be really easy to find. Uh, I have, I have a website that sort of serves as the the hub for everything that I'm doing creatively. And my website is my name. It's ronleckler.com. Leckler is spelled with a C-H and people struggle with that, but that's cool. Uh, and you can find me there. Uh, you can find pro tips with Ron Leckler on YouTube by searching my name in that way. Um, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ron Leckler. I also have an Instagram where you can find all that stuff. Uh, I run a blog called Poignant Marmaduke, where it's just uh, Marmaduke comics, but I change the captions so it makes the family hate the dog. And I think that that's funny. <laughs> uh, and you can find that at poignantmarmaduke.tumblr.com. Uh, <laughs> I try to put one out every Tuesday and Thursday.
Uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and of course, the Twilight Zone zone. You should totally also listen to, if you have room in your life for two Twilight Zone podcasts, you're a very special person. And I recommend listening to Submitted for Your Approval and also <laughs> the Twilight Zone zone. I, I I second that. I recommend listening to the Twilight Zone zone. And, well, you're listening to this. So, hey, thanks. <laughs> thanks of course. <laughs> but I love the idea uh, of appearing on what you could call a competing Twilight Zone podcast. Because <laughs> uh, I certainly don't view it that way. But uh, it's it's an interesting thought that I I would struggle to listen to more than one Twilight Zone podcast. It's just I wouldn't want to oversaturate my life uh, with the Twilight Zone. Yeah. Especially like creating the show. There's a, a lot of Twilight Zone in my life at the moment. Uh, <laughs> but like I... T- I told people that I was going to be on a competing Twilight Zone podcast because it made it in, sound more interesting yeah. than uh, than being on a, a podcast that is really warm and welcoming and uh, <laughs> supportive of our respective creative endeavors. Just super hostile, you know. Just uh, that's the thing is, I would, uh, I would love to be on a podcast that hated me and be like, hey. Nice podcast, you idealist dealing piece of shit. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. For those of you who want to get a hold of this show, there are a few ways that you can do that. I am on facebook.com slash S4YA podcast. Also, Instagram, S4YA underscore podcast. Twitter, S4YA underscore podcast. Email, S4YA podcast at gmail.com. You can give me a call, 860-GO-TZ-POD. Also, I am at www.apatheticenthusiasm.com slash submitted dash for dash your dash approval. Or just go to social media and website. are all there. Uh, and head out to Stitcher, iTunes, and shoot us, shoot us a rating. Let me know what you think of the show. Any all feedback is more than welcome and appreciated. Thank you again, Ron, for, for coming on the show. Yeah, of course. It was great. Thank you for having me. Yep. Next week, this is Brandon Cruz, and this is submitted for your approval. 